thank you to 40 million Americans, 40 million Californians, and thank you for rejecting this recall. Oh, no. Thank you, Governor. You're welcome. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something right. Actually, it's okay. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. At least in California. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. At least for now. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am. Stuck in the middle with you. Here I am. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, 98.7 in Santa Barbara, 93.7 in San Diego, 99.5 in Ridgecrest and China Lake. Also in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN and Eureka's KGOE. We'll be talking about California again today. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's Queso, Eugene's KEPW, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ, down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950, KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day on the internets. On the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. We will get to the recall fallout momentarily. Uh, but uh, Desi Doyen, I, I ran out of time yesterday for something I've been trying to get to uh, for the last day or so. Okay. Some listener mail. Oh, good. Uh, so before it gets away from me again today, because we got a lot to cover, uh, I want to uh, get this. I received quite a few emails, uh, believe it or not, and other comments in response to the speech that I shared for the first time publicly on Monday's broadcast that I had written just days after 9-11. I had shared it only with my family at the time, sort of written in the style of a presidential speech. Uh, and it, what, it is what I would have said in response to the 9-11 attacks at the time. Uh, Had by, you been president, which you were which not. Which I was not. <laughs> but by way of contrast with what George W. Bush said at the time, which then launched our nation onto a path of 20 years of war at an unspeakable cost in both blood and treasure... So I, I shared part of that speech on Monday after a weekend of 20th anniversary commemorations of the horrific terror attacks and the, the repetition of the myth that has sort of been driving me nuts for 20 years that the nation came together and was united as one after 9-11. Well, no, we weren't. Uh, that is and was and remains, in my opinion, a myth, uh, though it is one that helps the war makers quite nicely. 
So uh, I received quite a few responses from folks after uh, reading uh, at least part of that speech uh, along the lines of this one from listener Allison G., who wrote with the subject line, Thank you. She writes, Dear Brad, thank you so much for sharing your 9-11 thoughts on your latest broadcast. You perfectly articulated what I have been feeling for the past 20 years. She says, I loved when you said, while some perhaps just while some perhaps felt unified, some of us never did. And for 20 years, that has driven me crazy. Thank you for giving voice to my thoughts and the thoughts of so many others. I feel like George W. Bush laid the groundwork for Donald Trump becoming our president. She's right. She says it drove me crazy when everyone was praising Bush for his recent speech Uh, I guess that refers to the one in Shanksville, Pennsylvania. She adds, thank you for your thoughts, Allison. Well, thank you, Allison, for your note and to everyone else uh, who wrote in with uh, similar thoughts. As I mentioned that I might post that speech in full along with that night's show posting at bradblog.com. I, in fact, did do so. It is linked from Monday's show item at bradblog.com, which was, if you're looking for it, it was focused on the last call before the California recall election. Or you can get directly to it by going to bradblog.com slash 911 speech, 911 speech, uh, bradblog.com slash 911 speech, where it will now live uh, in infamy or otherwise. I uh, just want to let you know. But hey, speaking of the uh, California recall, I hear it worked out pretty well for Democrats in the state on Tuesday night, and particularly in a lot of our listening area here on the broadcast. For example, in Los Angeles, Gavin Newsom was retained by 42 points, mm. in uh, Santa Barbara uh, by 30 points, in San Diego by 18 points. San Diego used to be considered sort of a, a Republican stronghold, apparently not anymore. In uh, Kern County, which is where uh, our Ridgecrest and China Lake repeaters are from KPFK, Gavin Newsom lost by 16 points. What? In Red Bluff and and Redding, that's Tehama County, Gavin Newsom lost by 48 points. In Redding County, I'm sorry, in Redding, that's Shasta County, Newsom appears to have lost by 28 points. Hmm. So our influence apparently is not enough in those counties, Desi Doyen, (laughs) on those radio stations. I guess we need to work harder. Um, In Eureka, however, where we are on KGOE, that's Humboldt County. And that is where Gavin Newsom, according to the numbers we have now, was retained by 44 points. Hmm. So there you go. In any event, uh, as to uh, how it went across the state, as AP reports today, California Governor Gavin Newsom emphatically defeated a recall aimed at kicking him out of office. A contest that uh, Democrats framed as part of a national battle for his party's values in the face of the coronavirus pandemic and continued threats from Trumpism. Newsom cast uh, his victory as a win for his handling of the pandemic and for liberal and progressive issues. And it ensures the nation's most populous state will remain in Democratic control as a laboratory for progressive policies. With an estimated two-thirds of ballots counted, 
no on the question of whether to recall Newsom was ahead by a 30-point margin overall. And you know I've been uh, referring to this uh, recall as a stupid, ridiculous recall. Well, now you see why. It cost about $300 million to run, and we pretty much ended up with the same results that Gavin Newsom got uh, back in 2018 when he ran, when Donald Trump lost here in the state just not even a year ago. Yes, it was stupid. It was a waste of money. And anyone who refers to Republicans as conservative after they forced the state to shell out some, I think it was $269 million for this stupid recall, they are not conservatives conservatives don't waste taxpayer dollars like that, at least not real ones. Especially not when there's a re-election campaign just, just next, next year. year. I know. It's unbelievable. In fact, as we go to air, uh, with 70% of the ballots now tallied, uh, of course, it'll take several weeks for the rest of the vote-by-mail and provisional ballots to be counted and everything to be canvassed, etc. Uh, as we go to air, no on the question of whether Newsom shall be removed is ahead by 64 to 36 percent. That is a blowout. At least for now, though I suspect that that lead may increase as more vote-by-mail ballots are actually tallied in the uh, next few days and weeks, that is a 28-point lead at the moment, or almost exactly what Joe Biden defeated Donald Trump by in 2020 in California. 29 points in that case. We'll see if Newsom's lead widens in the uh, coming days, as I think is likely. But in 2018, when Newsom was elected to his first term, he defeated Republican John Cox by 34 points. So uh, if he's uh, wildly unpopular in the state, as we have been told now for weeks on end, not just by Fox News, but by some in the actual real news media who said that, uh, you know, Gavin Newsom is uh, is in trouble. He's not popular in the state. Apparently, he's still quite popular. In any event, he did not lose many voters in a low turnout special election since the last time he won, uh, he won in a regular election. Republican talk radio host Larry Elder would have replaced Newsom had the recall succeeded, having easily won on the ballot's second question, which is moot because Newsom won on the first question. Newsom's campaign had instructed Democrats not even to bother voting at all on that second question which is a strategy that I certainly questioned. In this case, it apparently worked out. Uh, that after Elder had vowed to end all masking and vaccine mandates and uh, basically bring the polar opposite political worldview to Sacramento, which was rejected by Californians. The recall turned on Newsom's approach to the pandemic, including mask and vaccine mandates. And Democrats cheered the outcome says AP as evidence that voters approve of that approach. The race was also a test of whether opposition to former President Donald Trump and his right-wing politics remain a motivating fa uh, force for Democrats and independents as the party looks ahead to midterm elections next year. Republicans had hoped for proof that frustrations over months of pandemic precautions would somehow drive voters away from Democrats. Turns out 
it didn't. Not by a long shot, at least not in a state where Democrats outnumber Republicans by nearly two to one. In his brief victory remarks after um, the no vote to remove Newsom won the day, the governor told supporters that no is not the only thing that he wanted to focus on. Good evening. It appears uh, we are enjoying an overwhelmingly uh, no vote tonight here in the state of California. Uh, but no is not the only thing that was expressed tonight. Uh, I want to focus on what we said yes to as a state. We said yes to science. We said yes to vaccines. We said yes to ending this pandemic. We said yes to people's right to vote without fear of fake fraud or voter suppression. We said yes to women's fundamental constitutional right to decide for herself what she does with her body and her fate and future. We said yes to diversity. We said yes to inclusion. We said yes to pluralism. We said yes to all those things that we hold dear as Californians and I would argue as Americans, economic justice, social justice, racial justice, environmental justice, our values where California has made so much progress. All of those things were on the ballot this evening. And so I'm humbled and grateful to the millions and millions of Californians that exercise their fundamental right to vote and express themselves so overwhelmingly by rejecting the division, by rejecting the cynicism, by rejecting so much of the negativity that's defined our politics in this country over the course of so many years. And I, I just think of our kids watching all of this, nightly news, day in and day out. And I just wonder, you know, I've got four young kids, oldest about to turn 12 this weekend, and what they're growing up to. In a, in a world where we're so divided, these kids increasingly fearful, isolated, disconnected, and we're teaching them that. And it doesn't have to be that way. I think we owe our kids a deeper sense of respect and all of us as adults a responsibility to, to disregard this false separateness. We're so much more in common as a state and a nation that we give ourselves credit for. I've been all over the state of California over the last many years, but notably in the last nine months. Conservative parts of the state, progressive parts of the state, folks that I, I know were going to vote no and votes that I knew were going to vote yes on this recall and, and turned out to do just that. But one thing that's universal, everybody wants to be respected. Everyone wants to feel some connection to one another. We all certainly in this pandemic want to feel safe, protected. And those are universal values. And I think about just in the last you know, few days and the former president put out saying this election was rigged. And a democracy is not a football. You don't throw it around. It's more like a, I don't know, antique vase. You can drop it and smash it in a million different pieces. And that's what we're capable of doing if we don't stand up to meet the moment and push back. I said this many, many times on the campaign trail. You know, we may have defeated Trump, but Trumpism is not dead in this country. The big lie, 
January 6th insurrection, all the voting suppression efforts that are happening all across this country, what's happening, the assault on fundamental rights, constitutionally protected rights of women and girls. It's a remarkable moment in our nation's history. But I'm reminded of uh, something, I don't know, a few decades ago someone told me when describing a difficult and challenging moment, said, the world is too small, our time is too short, and our wisdom is too limited to win fleeting victories at other people's expenses. And he went on to say, we must all triumph together. So in that spirit of recognizing and reconciling this moment and trying to understand what's going on, not just here in the state, but all across the United States of America, I, I just want to say this. Tonight, I'm humbled, grateful, but resolved in the spirit of my political hero, Robert Kennedy, to make more gentle the life of this world. Thank you all very much, and thank you to 40 million Americans, 40 million Californians, and thank you for rejecting this recall. Governor, Good night, everybody. Governor. California Governor Gavin Newsom's uh, mercifully brief remarks <laughs> after uh, being apparently overwhelmingly retained by voters here in the great state of California on Tuesday night. Now, are Republicans unhappy with Tuesday's results as reported? Do they have questions about those results? Well, how about Larry Elder, whose own campaign told us in advance, in advance of the recall on Monday, before there were any results at all, that according to his new StopCAFraud.com website, a special session of the California legislature was immediately needed to, quote, investigate and ameliorate the twisted results of this 2021 recall election. The twisted results, in fact, that had not even happened yet at the time he put that crap out onto his uh, his website. But, you know, according to Elder's campaign, uh, the results were poisoned by, quote, improperly formed ballots, whatever that means, by, quote, instances of undocumented ballots discovered prior to the election whatever that means, and, quote, statistical analyses used to detect fraud in election in third world nations that have detected fraud in California, resulting in Governor Gavin Newsom being reinstated as governor, unquote. All of that before Election Day. And with all of that evidence that they appear to have, why have they not turned any of that over to the uh, to to officials to look into this detected fraud? And these improperly formed ballots and these instances of undocumented ballots, whatever any of those things mean. Well, because it's all lies and that's what they do and they know it's all lies. And that's what it has always been, uh, not just since the 2020 election, but going back years for Republicans, not just in California, but all across the country. Those claims were made before any such results were even known. And you got to wonder, oh, did they mean to release that after the election instead of beforehand? In any event, with all of those uh, nightmares in the election, Larry Elder's campaign website suggested violence may be warranted as the, quote, ammo box 
might be the only solution to these outrages. Will he be held accountable for any of that? Seems unlikely. Today, Republicans are talking about what a great hero Larry Elder is after having lost by about 30 points. But for all the bluster and all of those lies and all of those impotent threats of violence, it seems that Elder gave up the pretend voter fraud ghost pretty quickly on Tuesday night. All the cable news and print media outlets had many hours earlier declared Newsom to be the winner of the recall. But eventually, Elder did speak to his supporters to say this. As you know, my opponent, Governor Gavin Newsom, come on. Let's, let's, let's be gracious, let's be gracious in defeat. And by the way, we may have lost the, the battle, but we are going to win the war. Yeah, whatever, it's a war, Larry. He claimed uh, there was massive fraud that might require the ammo box. He said that on the day before the election. So, no, he gets no pass now for claiming to be, uh, quote, gracious in defeat. We're going to be gracious in defeat. I'm glad that he was. But sorry, no credit for you, Larry Elder, at least as far as I'm concerned. Now, by the way, as regular listeners to the broadcast know, we had been reporting in great detail on concerns from cybersecurity and voting systems experts, some of the top in the nation, following the theft and the leak of Dominion Election Management System software that was stolen by a right-wing Colorado County clerk in Mesa County, Colorado, and it was released to the public at uh, my pillow guy Mike Lindell's failed cyber symposium last month in which he failed to provide any of the evidence that he had promised that the 2020 presidential election was stolen from Donald Trump. And yet he made all of his supporters follow his nonsense out there in South Dakota for three days during the symposium. Uh, and he proved nothing, but they did prove that they can steal election software and release it to the Internet. Uh, the uh, software security breach was and is of particular concern to the uh, computer scientists as the Dominion EMS software is used to run elections in some 60 percent of California counties. The scientists had urgently warned California's Democratic Secretary of State, Dr. Shirley Weber, before the election that, quote, emergency action was warranted, advising her uh, to make an announcement of a statewide post-election risk-limiting audit to make sure that the reported results were accurate and to add confidence to those who might question those results. Yes, in this case, people like Larry Elder and his supporters. Well, as we reported, Secretary Weber turned down the advice of the nation's top cybersecurity and voting system scientists, saying that there was not enough time to put together such a detailed type of post-election audit in all of California's 58 counties. And so the results are most likely going to be what they are. And I should note that Republicans who were pretending they had evidence of fraud prior to the election, they did not bother to step up in support of the calls from those scientists 
even though Republicans have claimed that post-election audits are needed everywhere across the country in order to expose the massive rigging that is being done by Democrats. You'll recall that even Donald Trump said before the before this uh, recall election that it was probably going to be rigged. Well, really, if so, why didn't they step up in support of those scientists who were calling for a post-election risk-limiting audit that would have detected any such rigging? Anyway, you know, they they took no actual action to try and actually prevent it or deter it for some odd reason, perhaps because they knew at the time they were lying. So at this point, if any of those Republicans wish they had more oversight of the the, the partial results, uh, as announced on Tuesday night, which suggest a shellacking for Republicans in the state and for the rest of the numbers that will continue to trickle in, over the upcoming weeks, well, Republicans have only themselves to blame for not bothering to support the real election integrity measures that they now occasionally pretend to care about, but in fact don't. But they like to pretend they do. They actually don't care about election integrity, uh, as was yet again laid bare in this uh, run-up to Tuesday's recall. And also, I'd like to add that it would have been nice, really nice, if California's Secretary of State's office would have taken a leadership role in showing the rest of the country what a real professional post-election yep. audit looks like that follows the law. Yep. That would have been uh, very helpful. Uh, and again, uh, you know, it doesn't matter who wins or loses. The idea is to give confidence in the results, reported results coming from these, uh, you know, vulnerable computer tabulators, give confidence in those results to the entire electorate. Yeah. Anyway, that chance is missed. But, you know, maybe uh, maybe in the future. All of that said, uh, what, if anything, might Democrats and Republicans alike, both in the Golden State and across the country, learn from Tuesday's recall? Well, for that, we will turn to an expert, a longtime California journalist who has since escaped to Washington, D.C. That is next on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. You're listening to The Bradcast. We are 100% listener-supported, thanks to listeners like you, who drop by bradblog.com slash donate. So if you want me off your back, well, come on and let me know. Should I stay or should I go? Yeah, well... Should I stay or should I go now? Apparently... Uh, Californians want Governor Gavin Newsom to stay. They did <laughs> let him know. Welcome back to the broadcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. Writing at his new site, Jabberwalking.com, longtime Mother Jones and Washington Monthly blogger Kevin Drum had this short and sweet take on Tuesday's recall election in California, which, as of airtime, popular progressive Democratic Governor Gavin Newsom appears to have won by a whopping nearly 30 points. Kevin wrote, there are no lessons from the California recall. For what it's worth, I'd recommend that everyone hold off on hot takes about what the California recall means for fill-in-the-blank. The recall was the work of idiot Trumpistas, and it failed because California is a very blue state and Republicans had no credible candidates to oppose Gavin Newsom. It has no lessons for normal elections <laughs> 
in swing states. He added, that won't stop anyone, I suppose, but you have been warned. Well, you are correct, Kevin. That won't stop anyone. Plus, I am not so sure that he is right. Plus, even if he is, the hot take is far too short for talk radio, particularly talk radio in a state here where taxpayers were forced to waste nearly $300 million on this election by self-described quote-unquote conservatives who pretend to be concerned about how taxpayer dollars are spent when clearly they are anything but conservatives. And media and Democrats, as I have long said, ought to stop giving them the gift of describing them that way. Still, it was a no-surprise recall, argues Harold Meyerson at the American Prospect today, observing that Newsom retaining his post by a little more than a 60-40 margin is, quote, approximately the margin by which almost all Democrats running statewide in California win. That's not just because the state is home to a more liberal electorate, than that of the nation as a whole, he writes, but also because it's long been home to a Republican Party that has refused to adapt to the state's leftward tilt. Myerson goes on to say, not surprisingly, while Democrats and Democratic tilting independents now constitute about 60 percent of the state's electorate, as Tuesday's balloting again confirmed, registered Republicans now make up less than a quarter of state voters. He added that an even modestly sentient party might decide to take positions that appealed to at least some voters outside its true believer base. Instead, the California GOP has gone down the same rat hole as the rest of the Trumpified horde. But as the state continues to move forward uh, with a popular, if imperfect, progressive agenda against a radically regressive and unpopular Republican Party in the state, which does seem dead set on embracing Trumpism as opposed to policies that might actually win over Democrats and independents, are there lessons that Democrats elsewhere across the country might take away from all of this? As we move into the midterm election cycle across the country. Um, and uh, by the way, is it time to reform this stupid recall process in California that we have in some way? Joining us to discuss all of that and probably more is the great Harold Meyerson, editor at large of the American Prospect magazine, where he has been editor since 2001. For many years, he also served as a weekly columnist for The Washington Post. And for many years prior to that, he served as executive editor for the L.A. Weekly and still contributes to the Los Angeles Times and other national publications. So, yes, he knows this territory well. Mr. Meyerson, welcome back to the broadcast, sir. Always good to be here, Brad. Uh, let's start with the easy question, top line here. Uh, though there were no surprises, there was uh, very real concern out here in California for a few weeks before the polls began turning in his favor that Newsom might be done for. About a month or so ago, the polls seemed to suggest a dead heat. What changed and uh, what should either Democrats or Republicans in the state take away from what happened here? Well, un un until the race really took shape and until uh, there was an actual Trumpian Republican who was clearly leading the field of possible replacements, that being Larry Elder, of course, again, mm -hmm. um, uh, the Democrats 
on the whole, weren't really taking uh, taking this seriously. Uh, mo- most California voters uh, saw this as kind of this obscure, perhaps niche election, whereas the Republicans were all uh, hot to trot on this for, for two reasons. Uh, uh, you know, I mean, the, the the mere fact that Newsom was a Democrat mm-hmm. sent them into a rage. <laughs> and then they can't win regular elections. As, as I said, it, you quoted in, in that piece, uh, Democrats, there's actually been 37 uh, statewide elected officials uh, going back uh, to the uh, re-election of, uh, of Arnold Schwarzenegger. Mm-hmm. Uh, since then, there have been 37 elections, uh, 37 statewide elected officials have appeared on the ballot, mm-hmm. uh, and the winners uh, were all Democrats, and their, the margin has been pretty consistently about 60-40. Um, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's, it's that there are two uh, distinct political blocks mm-hmm. in California, and the Republicans, uh, at best, are are stuck at that forty level, mm-hmm. uh, and they uh, they refuse to change. I'm remi- I'm going to get this wrong, but I'm reminded of the line in uh, in Milton's Paradise Lost, where where Satan basically says, "Better to uh, uh, you know reign in hell than be subservient in heaven," and uh, you know that seems to be the position of uh, of the Republicans electorally. You know they're saying Larry Elder is now, you know, the dominant figure in the California Republican Party. Uh-huh. Well, great. He can, you know, he's, he's, he's trailing, you know, I mean, the total number of votes that Elder got is about 3.5 million fewer than the number of votes uh, who, uh, the number of voters who voted not to recall Gavin Newsom. So if if you want, you know, your party leader, yeah. your standard bearer to, to you know, and that's with only, you know, two-thirds of the vote counted. So if you want uh, your best electoral prospect to come into the next race, you know, trailing by four to five million votes, um, okay, <laughs> yeah. take it away. Uh, yeah, I saw that immediately. They're saying, you know, well, Larry Elder is now a superstar in the Republican Party. Uh, will he run again against G- Gavin Newsom in 2022? Well, uh, please do. Because it was a disaster, (laughs) you know, in in an election that was certainly their best chance to be able to unseat a Democrat, it it would seem. Um, It seems they're not learning any lessons from this. And by the way, just uh, before airtime here, I was looking at a map of California showing the uh, recall results as compared to the current COVID situation. And I got to tell you, it matches up almost perfectly in the state. You know, the the areas of the state that went for Larry Elder are, in fact, the areas that have the worst covid infection, hospitalization and death rates right now. Uh, they're not going to learn anything from this, it seems. They're not right, even right. learning and anything from a pandemic. That's from the, the supposedly pro-life party, which has yes. become, uh, to, to use the Republicans phrase about what Obamacare would have supposedly instituted it's mm-hmm. become one big death panel yeah uh, so so yeah actually in the uh, exit poll that the usual exit polling firm Edison mm-hmm. uh, conducted if you looked at all of the answers the the, the biggest number in the exit poll uh, obviously going from zero to a hundred on a percentage basis was that people who uh, opposed a, a mask mandate for schools, 96% of them uh, voted yes 
on the recall. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you, you, it's been just drilled into them that uh, a, a mass mandate, which can only just essentially save the lives of children and teachers, uh, is, is a violation of, uh, you know, some uh, obscure personal right to infect anyone you want. Uh, so, it's you know. it's so twisted uh, that, frankly, I don't know, and, and, and to some extent, I guess I don't really care if the Republicans do learn anything from this, because they seem dead set against learning anything from anything. Uh, but at the prospect today, Harold Meyerson, you write that uh, some of this, what happened on Tuesday, lays the groundwork for how Democrats can win in 2022, uh, how do you see that? And are, were you referring there to uh, to California or to nationally? Well, national, uh, not every place, obviously, but it is it is so clear that a majority of Americans uh, support things like uh, uh, mandate uh, mask mandates for schools, mm-hmm. uh, and where Republicans, you know, come out against that, as Larry Elder, and not just Larry Elder, virtually every Republican running mm-hmm. uh, did. Um, uh, that's advantage Democrats, and that's advantage in swing states and swing districts uh, among, uh, you know, perhaps the portion of the electorate uh, that is most swinging towards Democrats nationally, which is white college-educated voters, Mm -hmm. uh, which include a lot of people who might otherwise be Republican but aren't really thrilled with the party that views empiricism as a threat, uh, you know, uh, it, it does it does certainly convey uh, a message that if you run against uh, the idiocies of Trumpism, um, you know, you, you do have a built-in majority. Now, obviously not in some states, not mm-hmm. in Alabama, and not in some congressional districts. But uh, if the Democrats are going to hold Congress in 2022, that has got to be a major part of their campaign. Just as Gavin Newsom, uh, once Larry Elder emerged, uh, was 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 able to run against all of that because Larry Elder, you know, was saying all that nonsense and really personified uh, personified mm-hmm. Trumpism. Of course, the Democrats also have to deliver on um, you know the uh, the stuff that's in the reconciliation bill mm-hmm. and things like that because that you know those are real world benefits to real world voters. Uh, but but I think Newsom, you know, ended up uh, sort of really uh, laying out a map for for where the Democrats will be going in 2022. And, and you know, you say, uh, of course, that's not going to work everywhere, not in places like Alabama. And and you're probably right, Harold Myerson, although I have to wonder, you know, if, if you know, things that we are seeing in states like Alabama, like uh, Idaho, where you can't get a, a, a hospital bed at this point, if that continues right. for the next year, you got to wonder if something has to give uh, in that party. But I guess we're going to keep wondering, and we'll watch that over the, over the next year. But uh, you you write at the prospect today again, focusing back on Democrats. The uh, you write the exit polls didn't deviate much from the picture the 2020 polls provided of the presidential vote. Now, as then, college educated whites ended up in the Democrats' corner. The one troubling particular for Democrats, you you note, was Newsom's narrow lead among Latino men who voted on who voted no on the recall but only by a bare 53 to 47 percent margin. There will be some swing House districts next year where numbers like that will elect a Republican. I know we have sort of 
you know, to reach pretty hard, Harold, to find a downside to Tuesday's results. But this is something that we also saw, I believe, in 2020 among Latino voters, particularly in Florida and Texas, uh, but elsewhere as well. Any explanation or understanding for what this pattern means uh, among Hispanic voters and, and why it seems to be happening now? Well, a couple. Um, we know that white working class men are really sort of the strongest group within the Trumpian coalition. And I think uh, there are a lot of Latino men who, who really respond to the same kind of appeals, a kind of uh, machoism, a kind of what they sense from certainly someone like Gavin Newsom of a kind of denigration of manual labor. And, mm. you know, I don't think Newsom actually does that, but he mm-hmm. looks like he does that. <laughs> okay. Uh, you know, uh, uh-huh. and uh, uh, and perhaps a level of uh, traditionalism on issues around gender identity and patriarchy and things like that, where they feel the Democrats sort of threaten uh, what, what they want to see in terms of those issues. So I think... Those are those are factors, uh, and I think uh, you know. Uh, I think Democrats, among other things, are going to have to deliver big time on you know the infrastructure and some mm-hmm. of, and the stuff in the reconciliation bill to perhaps uh, get a, a, something of a swing back. But even that's by no means automatic. No, it's not. And even if they do, uh, you know, walk through this minefield to pass uh, this, you know, rather transformative agenda that they're trying to in in D.C., uh, Joe Biden's Build Back Better agenda. There's the question of uh, will they run on it even? You know, Newsom here in California actually has a pretty good record to run on, including, you know, an economy that has improved under his leadership, a long list of progressive policies he's signed into law. But instead, his campaign focused on elder as a, uh, a, a Trump extremist uh, opposed to, you know, support of vaccine and mask mandates, uh, d- does COVID still loom that large that nothing else, even a positive record as a progressive Democrat, uh, takes a backseat? And, and if so, should 2022 Democrats across the country take anything away from this as we move into the midterms next year to, you know, not focus on their accomplishments, I guess? But to focus on the, you know, the the the, the Trumpism of the Republican Party. Well, first of all, it's not an either or cho- choice. You can you can obviously focus on both. I think that the the, the the difference here is between awareness of Sacramento and what's coming out of state government on the part of Californians, and awareness of the federal government and what's coming out of Washington. I mean, uh, I remember back when I was, you know, in California, which was a long time. It was about a 50-year period. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the first time Jerry Brown ceased to be governor, uh, which would have been the beginning of 1983, mm-hmm. all of the state's uh, uh, television stations closed their Sacramento bureaus. And that, that I think, was uh, kind of emblematic of the fact that what goes on at the state level doesn't really permeate uh, much California consciousness. Mm. Um, and so, yes, Newsom has uh, a really uh, positive mm. record on a number of issues, mm. and uh, Californians don't know it. On the other hand, <laughs> you know, I think uh, whatever Biden's able to get through uh, Congress uh, will have much wider, there'll be much wider public knowledge about that than Californians have in the state government. So well, therefore, 
you know, I think, therefore, I think, you know, yes, the Democrats can run on the sort of national economic achievements. That doesn't mean that they won't also perhaps primarily run on, uh, you know, the, all the issues raised by COVID. You know, Democrats are just not very good at singing their own praises, it seems. You know, remember, they famously failed to run uh, strongly on the now very popular Affordable Care Act, Obama hid his tax cuts for the middle class as a, you know, sort of a percentage of right. each month's check or George Bush sent a big rebate check. You know, D Trump signed the actual stimulus uh, relief checks that he sent out to right. voters. Even when they do good stuff, it seems that Democrats have trouble taking credit for that good stuff. And I well, don't understand I think it. The, I think the Biden people have learned from that experience. Good. Uh, Good. Uh, and I think I think they're also. Mm. Uh, I've I've written an essay on this, which will come out in the next print issue of my magazine, mm. American Prospect. Mm -hmm. I think they're also more cognizant of uh, the issue of time. That you know, it's it's not enough to authorize. Uh, you know that you're going to build X. You actually have to visibly start building and visibly sending out the checks before the next election, which mm -hmm. was absolutely not a priority for the Obama presidency, bewilderingly enough. And the Democrats paid the price for that, mm -hmm. uh, beginning with the 2010 midterms. But I think the Obama people, let me rephrase, I know the Obama people are, are pretty determined not to make that mistake again. Uh, the, the Biden, the Biden people, people yeah. Not to make that, yeah. Good. I'm glad to hear that uh, coming from D.C. Uh, Harold Myerson, before I let you go, we have to very quickly uh, talk about the recall process itself here in California, which uh, I don't understand why Democrats didn't reform it after 2003. They've only had about 20 years to fix this stupid procedure. <laughs> uh, well, do you share my what's wrong with the uh, California recall as you see it? Oh, everything. And particularly because <laughs> particularly since in the in current political uh, situation. Um, it, it gives the Republicans the illusion that this is an election they can win, so they're going to try to recall everyone they can, as opposed to a normal election, which they actually pretty much know they're going to lose. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, you really need to raise the uh, number of signatures required. But, you know, all of the uh, progressive reforms that were introduced in 1911, like the initiative, I mean, mm -hmm. you look at uh, Prop 22, where Uber and Lyft managed to essentially deceive the electorate, and, and uh, it enabled them to continue to underpay their drivers. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, all of these so-called direct democracy things, which were originally adopted because money was uh, uh, so controlled the state legislature in mm -hmm. uh, when, when it was adopted 10 years ago. And this was meant uh, to work money, around now, that corporate yeah, now, funding of exactly, uh, the legislature. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the Southern Pacific Railroad essentially mm -hmm. owned the state government, uh, and this was the antidote to that. Well, now Uber and Lyft uh, can, can buy the initiative process. So yeah. I think we have to look at all of these, uh, the, the recall, the initiative, and the referendum of the three great reforms of the progressives who, who really did mean well, and, and it made sense at the time. Given what they've become, doesn't make sense now, and they all need significant reform. Yeah, Ernie uh, Canning, uh, writing at bradblog.com back in July, uh, suggested some reforms such as, if you're going to have the recall, replace uh, replace the governor with the lieutenant governor. We already got sure. one right there. That seems to make sense. Right. Uh, yeah. el eliminate paid signature gathering. Limit the reasons for the recalls to, you know, uh, crimes and you know issues of moral turpitude or something like that. There's a lot mm -hmm. of ways this could be reformed. Yeah. You, you worked in and, California... And 
you, you worked in California enough to know, is, yeah. is this something that Democrats can get up ahead of steam to actually do in Sacramento? After this current episode, I think the answer is yes. Uh, and I hope they, like I said, I hope they go after, you know, the paid signature gatherer should be eliminated for initiatives uh, as well. Uh, you know, I wrote uh, an attack on these things at the L.A. Weekly in 1990. It's been clear for some time <laughs> that these are flawed processes. Uh, and uh, I think finally now, after this latest travesty, let's hope we can begin to see some action. So you think Democrats might finally get the message after only two or three or four decades of this nonsense? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. sometimes you learn slowly, but eventually <laughs> you might actually learn. Let's see if they do. Uh, Harold Meyerson uh, is the editor-at-large of the American Prospect magazine, and he is also a contributor to the Los Angeles Times and uh, and everything else, uh, and uh, always a, uh, a delightful presence on our show. You can find his work, of course, at prospect.org, and you can find him on the Twitters at Harold Meyerson. Harold, great speaking with you, my friend. I look forward to doing it again soon. Uh, sure thing, Brad. Take care. Thank you. Okay, we'll take a quick break here, and I don't know what's wrong with uh, us today, Desi Doyen, <laughs> but we've got more good news. Great. I don't know what's going on. I'm all for it. I, I It's like one good news thing after another. It won't last. Am I okay? <laughs> quick break, and we are back with some good news on the Freedom to Vote Act that I uh, talked about yesterday, sang its praises, this new act from a group of uh, U.S. senators, including uh, Joe Manchin of West Virginia. There was one part of that uh, that freedom to act that I was not clear if it actually was so good. Freedom to vote. What did I say? Freedom to act. Oh, yeah. Freedom to vote act. Anyway, I'll clear it all up after this. I'm Brad Friedman. You are listening to the Bradcast. <laughs> Hey, this is Brad. Please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is serving you. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to counter the powerful corporate media echo chamber. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. They said vote in the election, it's what good people do. We've got this new machine, amazing but it's true. Just touch the screen a few times, it computes your vote for you. And you don't even need any paper. Yes, yes you do need paper. Specifically hand-marked paper. Hand-marked paper ballots. Welcome back to the Brandcast. Brad Friedman from Brandblog.com. Okay, so the uh, U.S. Senate, eight senators... Uh, in the U.S. Senate, Democratic senators, actually Angus King is an independent. He was one of the eight. But, but he caucuses with the Democrats. He caucuses with the Democrats. Uh, they released the Freedom to Vote Act, a compromise version of the uh, For the People Act and the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act that they sort of combine certain elements that Joe Manchin of West Virginia said that he supports. And we talked about it yesterday on the show, and I sang its praises because it's got some really, really good stuff in it. And if Joe Manchin is on board and if all 50 Democratic senators are on board, as they reportedly are, then maybe this thing actually has a chance to pass, even though it's going to require Joe Manchin being willing 
to uh, uh, in some fashion reform the uh, the filibuster in the Senate. But if this passes, it would be huge. It would be transformative. It would be uh, the most transformative election legislation, certainly since the Voting Rights Act, and perhaps even more so. Among the things that it includes, automatic voter registration in all 50 states, online voter registration in all 50 states, early voting in all 50 uh, 50 states, including 15 consecutive days of early voting and uh, two weekends, same-day voter registration, huge Huge that would be in all 50 states. Minimum standards for absentee ballots, voting by mail and for drop boxes, which would, you know, ensure that voters can request a mail in ballot, even in places like the great state of Texas. Standards for photo ID restrictions that would, in fact, make many of the most strict photo ID restrictions less onerous. There was just tons and tons of good stuff that any one of these things, if they passed in a standalone bill, I would be standing and applauding. Uh, Restores rights for uh, for felons who have uh, former felons who are released from prison. It stops election subversion, which is what Republicans all across the country right now are enacting, uh, you know, methods to overturn the results of elections that they don't like. It ends partisan gerrymandering. It helps disclose dark money. So one thing after another. However, there was one thing that I mentioned on yesterday's show that this bill Based on the summary that was made available by Amy Klobuchar's office, she's the chair of the Committee on Rules and Administration that oversees federal elections and and campaign finance laws. They talked about voter verified paper ballots. And I noted that the devil is often in the detail in the details when it comes to that, because they got all sorts of tricks. Oh, it's voter verifiable paper ballots that come out of touchscreen voting machines. Well, that put the onus on the voter to take further action in order to make sure that their votes are what's printed on the paper. And even if they if do they it, can. we can never know whether they actually did verify the ballot after an election. And studies show that 93% of voters don't check their ballots and that those who do, almost all of them don't notice if the computer has changed their computer marked paper ballots. That's why I, call, I uh, have long called for or hand-marked paper ballots for all. Now, uh, when the For the People Act came out, on which this legislation is based, For the People had talked about uh, paper ballots that uh, everyone had a right to a hand-marked paper ballot in an election. But as I tried to uh, raise a red flag at the time, that meant that counties could say, well, yes, every voter has a right to a hand-marked paper ballot. They can... Vote by mail if they want. But when they come to the precinct, when they come to the voting center to vote, they're going to have to use these 100 percent unverifiable touchscreens. Well, that is not good enough. It is not good enough to show up to vote on Election Day and find out you do not have a right to a hand marked paper ballot. Well, guess what? I guess they heard the noise. Uh, Jenny Cohn, our friend on on the Twitters, was uh, picking up my uh, call and, and, and that of others to make sure that this language changed so that they couldn't say your right to a handmarked paper ballot was, you know, you could get that by voting by mail. 
Here is the actual legislative text from this draft of the Freedom to Vote Act, page 318 of this currently 592-page bill. It reads, for the purpose of this subclause, the term individual, durable, voter verifiable paper ballot means a paper ballot marked by the voter by hand or a paper ballot marked through the use of a non-tabulating ballot marking device or system. That's a BMD system. So long as the voter shall have the option at every in-person voting location to mark by hand a printed ballot that includes all relevant contests and candidates. Nice. Very nice. So, yeah, they're still going to allow the BMD systems, which are terrible. They're vulnerable. No one should ever vote on one unless they actually need to because they're disabled. They need an assistive device or something. But this bill, if it passes, would mandate that every voter has the right to vote on a hand-marked paper ballot. Yes, even on Election Day, even at the polling place. So we are moving in the right direction. Now all we got to do is get Joe Manchin to uh, (laughs) reform the filibuster so we can get this thing passed. That's all. But hey, he's on board for this. So he would have a a, a reason to want to uh, get this thing through come uh, hell or high water. And we are now facing both. So anyway, some very good news there. I will link to the full legislative text if you want to plow through those. 562 pages or whatever it is. I will uh, link to it tonight at bradblog.com when we post today's show. All right, we got to get out. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to my guest today, Harold Myerson of The American Prospect, and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It is always appreciated. It's always an honor. If you missed any portion of today's show or any other, download them all for free at bradblog.com. That is made possible by listeners like you who keep us on your public airwaves. You're the only ones who do it. You can stop by bradblog.com slash donate. And thank you in advance. You can drop me email as well. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, you will find me at the Bradblog. That's it. Too much good news. I'm sure we'll ruin it again tomorrow. Until then, we will see you on the Twitters and the Facebooks. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.